Psalm 104, let us now give our attention to the reading, to the hearing of God's holy and inspired word. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, by God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be removed forever. Thou coverest it with deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of the thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bond that they may not pass over that they turn not again to cover the earth. He sendeth the springs into the valleys, which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle, an herb for the service of man, that he might bring forth food out of the earth, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he hath planted, where the birds make their nest. As for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness and did his night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth. They gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go to the ships. There is the Leviathan whom thou hast made to play therein. These wait all upon thee. Thou mayest give to them their meat in due season. That thou givest them, that thou givest them, they gather. Thou openest thine hand. They are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face. They are troubled. Thou takest away their breath. They die and return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit. They are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. 
He looketh on the earth, and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills, and they smoke. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Hallelujah. Or praise ye the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we do come before thee, and we do bless thy name. We do exalt thee for thy for thou art our God. You are the creator of the ends of the earth. And we do pray tonight for the blessing of thy spirit upon the preaching of thy word. O Lord, we plead that you would speak from heaven. We plead, O Lord, that you would speak through thy word, that you would take this word and apply it to our hearts. And we pray for the ministry of thy Holy Spirit that you would come and help us to understand rightly and to do what the psalmist calls us to do, to bless the Lord. And we ask for thy blessing upon the preaching of your word now, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. Well, here we come this evening to Psalm 104, which is a psalm of thanksgiving with no title, with no author, but most likely it is David. Because when you consider Psalm 104, and when you see that in the same light as Psalm 103, they're both very similar psalms. David is the author of Psalm 103. Most commentators would agree that he is also the one who has written Psalm 104. But this is a psalm of thanksgiving, written by that sweet psalmist of Israel, to stir the hearts of God's people to praise. Psalm 103 stirred our hearts to praise when we considered what David says in Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. David there gives praise to God for all of the benefits, for all of the blessings that he has given to us primarily regarding our salvation. Now as we turn our thoughts to Psalm 104, we see here the first of the triad of Hallelujah Psalms. Psalm 104, 105, 106 are the first of those triad Hallelujah Psalms. They're introduced here. And we will see them in the next section of the Psalter. But these hallelujah psalms are all explanations of praise. We see that there in Psalm 103. We see it here in Psalm 104, 105, and 106. But in Psalm 104, the psalmist begins by saying, Bless the Lord. And he ends with the hallelujah there at the end of verse 35. That word hallelujah in Hebrew means praise ye the Lord. 
And so there in Psalm 104, the psalmist ends with that hallelujah. In Psalm 105, as we will consider next time, he ends there in verse 45 with that hallelujah. And there as you come to Psalm 106, the psalmist begins with that hallelujah in verse 1, and he ends with that hallelujah in verse 48. So all of these form a triad that speak of the goodness and the mercy of God that declare with one voice that indeed the Lord is our God and He is to be praised. Now as you look here in Psalm 104, I draw your attention primarily to verses 33 and 34. Where the psalmist says, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of Him shall be sweet. And I will be glad in the Lord. Charles Spurgeon says of David that it's often said that David was a very melancholy man, that David was a man who found himself prone to depression, and so he needed the Psalms to cheer his soul. But Charles Spurgeon reminds us, how can a man who is constantly calling the people to praise, how can a man who says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, how could he be filled with despair? For here we find that throughout this psalm and throughout the previous one, David stirs the hearts of the people to praise. He stirs the hearts of the people to give praise to this God as long as they live. But there verse 34 says, My meditation of him shall be sweet and I will be glad in the Lord. Psalm 104 is a meditation. Most of these psalms are a meditation. But primarily here in verse 34, David says that this psalm is a meditation of him. This is a psalm that declares his work. This is a psalm that calls his people to think upon, to give meditation of him that indeed is sweet. Ironically, Robert Dabney, that Southern Presbyterian minister, says that meditation is one of those means of grace. Now in our confession of faith, how many means of grace are there? The word, the sacraments, and prayer. But Robert Dabney calls meditation a means of grace. And yet meditation is one of the few means of grace that we utilize as Christians today. But there he calls us to consider the meditation, that there should be daily meditation. Here the psalmist says, my meditation of the Lord shall be sweet and I will be glad in the Lord. Charles Spurgeon reminds us that oftentimes our meditations are not sweet because we find the excuses that we often give. I don't have time for meditation. I don't have time to sit and think upon the Lord. I don't even have time to get through my daily devotion. 
because I'm doing this, I'm going here, I'm going there. And Charles Spurgeon reminds us that it is a weak and senseless person who can come up with all kinds of excuses for why he should not meditate. And he gives a very practical thing about meditation. He says, perhaps you need to get up 45 minutes earlier. Perhaps you need to think, well, how much time do I take for dinner? How much time do I take to to prepare myself in the morning? My wife says I'm very slow in the morning, and she's right. I don't rush in the mornings. I ease in the mornings. But perhaps we need to get up earlier and think about what things do I need to do that I might arrange my life so that I might have that sweet meditation that calls me to be glad in the Lord. I don't know about you, but when you find that outside of your office, you hear the train going through three or four times a day, or you find the uh, construction workers come and building a new house, or you find all of those distractions, you think, how do I have time to meditate? And perhaps we need to find that quiet place for meditation. I shared this with someone just this past week, and perhaps I've shared this before, but I think it's a great encouragement. Susanna Wesley had many children. Her husband was often gone in his ministry and in his work, and so she was left at home, as many as you, as mothers, left at home with many small children. And so she didn't have the excuse that sometimes is convenient for us with that many children. But she used to take her apron and put it over her head and sit in the floor. And when she did that, her children sat and were completely quiet because they knew mother was in meditation and communion with the Lord. And she is not to be disturbed. And so sometimes that meditation, which is simply quietly coming and reflecting upon the word, is to be a time that we call ourselves apart for communion with God. We learn this from our Savior as he is there in the Garden of Gethsemane as his apostles are with him and he goes off to pray and he says, you stay here and pray. So he goes to pray and he comes back and what does he find the disciples doing? They're sleeping. He says, what? You couldn't watch one hour? And so we learn even from our master the importance of meditation. Charles Bridges, or William Bridge, a Puritan, gives many wonderful things regarding meditation. But, that, but meditation is that means by which we come aside and think upon God and think upon the things of God's kingdom. But what is the psalmist thinking of? As he comes to the end of this psalm, he says, My meditation of him shall be sweet. They say that sometimes when you lie down at sleep, uh, to sleep at night and you find yourself restless and awake and you can't sleep, Perhaps you need to spend that time in meditation upon the Lord. I find that when I lie down, my mind begins to race. Perhaps meditation would be a good time to think upon these things. Meditation is not that Eastern mindset of just emptying your mind of everything. But biblical meditation is that means by which we think upon the things of God when we consider the things of His kingdom. 
So what does the psalmist think about? What is the psalmist meditating upon as he calls us to this exercise of praise? Well, there are two things that he describes here in Psalm 104. He describes the work of God, the power of God in his creation and in his providence. And so he begins there in verse 1, saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great, for thou art clothed with honor and majesty. And so the psalmist opens this psalm, meditating upon this God who indeed is great, meditating upon this God who is worthy of praise, meditating upon this God who says he is clothed with honor and majesty. That word there, clothed with honor and majesty, describes that this God who is a spirit who cannot be seen, clothes closes himself with honor. He closes himself with majesty. Verse 2 says he covers himself with light as with a garment. And there in these verses 2 through 9, he describes that work of creation. The psalmist here describes God creating the earth by stretching out the heavens like a curtain. He describes that the Lord God creates the earth, that he uses these metaphors to describe the universe, to describe all of creation as God's house. In our call to worship tonight, we heard that call from Psalm 24, where the psalmist begins by saying, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world, and they that dwell therein. And so the earth belongs to the Lord. Everything in the earth belongs to Him because He has created it. In this day and age in which very few Reformed denominations even require adherence to the doctrine of creation, there is no greater doctrine for the life of the church. There's no greater foundational truth than understanding that God created the world in the space of six days and all very good. We should not apologize for our doctrine of creation. We're in a day in which we find our leaders calling us to get rid of our gas stoves and to get rid of our cars and all of this because we're polluting the environment We need to remember that it is God who created all things, that God gives us all things, that God holds all things together because He is the one who has created it. He covers Himself with light as He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And there He describes with Further metaphor that the Lord lays the beams of his chambers. It's as if God is being described as building a house. And notice the language here, and we don't have the time to go into it, but Psalm 104 is almost a parallel to the first and second chapters of Genesis. In the first day, God created the heavens and the earth the second day, the third day, the fourth day. All of those things that God did in each day of creation is laid out here. 
that the Lord laid the beams of his chambers in the waters, that he makes his angels, his ministering spirits. But notice there in verse 5, who laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be removed forever. Next time someone tells us they're concerned about global change or climate change or whatever term they use to describe it, remind them that God laid the foundations of the earth, that God created all things, and so it cannot be moved. Man cannot move the foundations. Man cannot remove those markers, for God has laid it, and it is the foundation upon his world upon which his world stands. And so as God calls these ministering spirits to whom he has given power, as he calls these ministering spirits to be his servants, we find that God indeed lays the foundation of the earth. And so we see the psalmist thinking upon meditating upon that work of creation, what God did in the space of six days. And he goes on and describes even further the end. That thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. And so here we find that the Lord sets the boundaries. The Lord sets the habitations, that the Lord sets all things in place. And man cannot remove those boundaries. Man cannot move the foundations of the earth, for God himself has put it there. And so then he begins in verses 10 through 23 to describe that work of providence. And so here the psalmist reflects on those works of creation and providence. And as he describes there in verse 10, it primarily describes those things that happen within God's creation, where he sends springs into the valley, which run among the hills. He gives drink to every beast of the field, to the wild asses he quenches their thirst. Consider all of the beasts that live and how God provides for each and every one of them. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea, everything has been given its food and God is the one who feeds him. By them shall the fowls of heaven have their habitation. Here he described that the birds have places for their nests. That even the birds sing within the branches. He waters the hills. He satisfies the earth with the fruit of his works. Notice he causes grass to grow for the cattle. Never stop to think about how the Lord provides for the cattle. How the Lord provides for your sheep. How the Lord provides for your goats. That he provides everything within his creation, that he satisfies all things. With what? With the fruit of thy works. 
And how oftentimes we don't consider, we don't think about these things. Then he says that God has even provided wine to gladden the heart of man. Wine in its temperance, in its moderation, given so that man might be glad. He's given oil to make his face shine, bread to strengthen his heart. He describes the the trees as a place for the birds to make their home. He describes the hills as a refuge for wild goats, the rocks for the coonies. He appointed the moon for its season. The sun knows it's going down. He creates the night time. He creates the young lions to roar. He gives man the day and the night that he might labor. And then the psalmist concludes after he gives that depiction of the providence of God, God working all things out in his creation. He ends there with verse 24. And he describes, and here is part of his meditation as he considers these things, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. Oh, what a foolish and wicked world we live in where men give all of the things in nature to the acts of Mother Nature or to some um, global warming or climate change. And yet this psalmist concludes by saying, How many are manifold are the wonders of your creation, that even the very living creatures in the sky and the sea and the land demonstrate the infinite wisdom of this God who has made them. Next time you have, you're driving down the road and you see the deer running in front of you trying to wreck your car, think about how God has placed them there to remind us of His infinite wisdom. God has given these things for us. God has created all of the wonders of his creation to show his infinite wisdom. You ever stop to think about how many creatures there are in the world? I saw a YouTube video this week. Perhaps some of you saw it. A man from Australia who was with his family in Indonesia. And they were along the sea. They were there at the beach. They had their knapsacks. They had no food in them. And so they laid their knapsacks down and they were playing in the ocean. All of a sudden, a bunch of these monkeys come up. And they get very aggressive. And so they're going to grab their camera and the things that they left there. And these monkeys wouldn't let them touch them. They had come up against their nest, supposedly. And the one monkey bit the man as he was trying to grab his things. And these monkeys were just absolutely aggressive. And yet even there, we see the wisdom of God in all that he has made. Even describes the Leviathan or that large sea creature. Perhaps it's the Loch Ness Monster. I'm not sure what would qualify as Leviathan. But notice he says that he's made that who plays to play therein, to play within the sea. He's made all those creeping things. He says, oh, consider how 
manifold are the works of God. How in his infinite, eternal wisdom, he has made all of these things. Oh, saints of God, the earth is full of all of the riches of God's wisdom. All for us to see. And then he concludes and reminds us in the conclusion of that psalm. As he breaks forth in praise in verse 24, he again goes back and considers the providence of God. He considers the providence of God in verse 29 when he says, thy, Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to dust. And here we see a sign of God's displeasure. That God takes away the breath of man. That God hides his face. And yet verse 30 says he sends forth his spirit to renew the face of the earth. He says the glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in what? His works. The Lord rejoices. The Lord finds joy and satisfaction in all he has created. So then he concludes there as we started with singing unto the Lord, giving praise unto this God who gives us life, who gives us being. And he says, my meditation of him. My meditation of this God who's created all things for his glory. My meditation of this God who superintends all things. My meditation of this God who preserves and by his good providence brings all things to pass. My meditation of him shall be sweet. My meditation of him shall be pleasant. My meditation of him shall bring joy to my heart. And so that's why he calls us to meditate with sweetness, to be glad in the Lord, to consider all that he has done for us. Oh, we find it a glorious description here of the divine works of God's creation and providence, much like Genesis 1. Yet here we find creation moving about Creation giving praise to the attributes of God's wisdom, power, and love. As I said earlier, our failure to maintain the doctrine of creation diminishes the glory of God. The failure to maintain the doctrine of creation not only diminishes our glory of God, but it robs us the sweetness and joy of the Christian life. Our thoughts should rise from creation to this creator on whom we find our meditation. So meditation is that sweet antidote for all the troubles of life, for all the trials of life, for all of those things that, that stir our hearts, all of those things that draw us away. It is that sweet meditation that should daily draw us to be reminded of God's providential care in all that He has created. God indeed is great, yet we need to spend that time each day meditating upon Him.
an understanding that he is the triune God. That he is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who has created all things, who rules over all the earth. And as we see this triad of Psalm 104, 105, and 106 describing the praise, the hallelujahs that are given to the Lord, it describes that as its creator, as its ruler, as its governor, he is the one who rules. He is the king who rules over all the earth. And we are reminded that nothing, no election, no presidential election, whatever the outcome may be, should cause our hearts to be troubled. For we have a king who's exalted in Zion. We have a king who is able to subdue all things for his own glory. We have a king who has laid the foundations of the earth and they cannot be moved. And so let us meditate sweetly upon these things. Let us find delight in this God who indeed calls us to give praise unto him, to this God who gives breath from our nostrils till he determines our days are ended. And let us give praise unto this God, who indeed is worthy. May we pray. O Lord, our God, we do come before thee tonight, and we do give thee praise. We do exalt thy name. We do bless thy name, O Lord, for you have laid the foundations of the earth, never to be removed. O Lord, as we think upon your power of creation, as we think upon your power of providence, as we see your providence played out in our day-to-day lives, we pray that we might meditate more diligently upon these things, that we might consider them more, that we might find our meditations of you to be sweet. And we pray that even this week, even tomorrow, that we would find joy and gladness as we consider this God, as we see your creation, even as we see the change from winter to spring, spring to summer and summer to fall. We pray that we might see in that the wisdom of our God and that we might give praise and honor unto him. Oh Lord, thank you for this word. Apply it to our hearts that we might rightly meditate upon it. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.